0: Um, My ex-partner, he threw me out to the streets and I met my husband then at a bus stop...
1: This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere... Is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to, and you know all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever. And you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode.
2: Welcome to the show, Amy. I appreciate you coming on. So it is five hours ahead of time because you're all the way in Scotland.
0: I am. And it's half six here. So half I'm six.
2: Getting... That is also a Scottish thing. The half six. The I mean, <laughs> does, that mean does that mean 630, right?
0: Even think that would be a thing.
2: Yes, it's six (laughs) thirty. Yeah, we do not say half anything. We just say we round up. I don't know if it's just an easier thing for us or whatever. I don't know. So, what is your sober date?
0: My sober date is the sixteenth of August this year. But it was previously the second of January this year. Had a bit of a rough summer.
2: Okay, so well, let's let's backtrack. Let's start all the way. What what is your drug of choice? Was it alcohol or was it drugs?
0: It was alcohol. It was sort of drugs. It was weed and pills when I was fifteen till about eighteen. And then I got sober from all of that and met my husband and yeah, and it was basically just really heavy alcohol then until now, fourteen years.
2: Okay. So when you discovered pills, was it an escape that you were like or just were you rebelling or where did you did you grow up in Scotland?
0: No, I grew up in Birmingham, which is one of the cities in England. Um, I think I just got mixed up with the wrong crowd. I had an accident when I was younger and um, a lot of people sort of gravitated towards me. I don't know if it was just because I was possibly interesting, because I'd had an accident, because I was like wheelchair bound, everything like that. And then I found the people who were doing the drugs the most fun people at the time, and I gravitated towards them, and then just got really swept up in it.
2: So you must, you were in a bad accident then, if you were like in a wheelchair at a young age.
0: Yeah, I fell off a cliff, um, and landed on my feet, and broke both my feet.
2: <laughs> oh wow, and this was in <laughs> Birmingham?
0: No, it was in Cornwall, which is at the bottom of the bottom of England. Um, I was rock climbing, and I felt, I climbed at one side, and essentially just ran off the end I didn't see the end coming
2: (laughs) it must have been how old were you when that happened
0: I was 14
2: okay so you're 14 and you get like seriously hurt like that and then all of a sudden you everyone knows that you're the girl that like fell off a cliff yeah basically is that what you're saying
0: yeah it was just that moment when everyone was like oh look you're really interesting to talk to now let's let's find out who you are and make you do what we do Yeah. (laughs) it was my choice completely what I did, but yeah, it was a roller coaster.
2: <laughs> so you get you get in you find pills and I'm sure did you need them too for the pain at all? Were you in pain from being hurt? Did you get prescribed anything?
0: Yeah, when I was in hospital after my accident, that's the first time I discovered sort of really strong painkillers. Um it was morphine. I had a self administer morphine machine. When I was there, just a little click of a button, and then it will constantly be fed into a UV drip, and they they let me do that. And then within two days, I had completely overdosed on it, and I was just grey in the hospital. And that was the first time that I ever felt myself high, and it was like, oh wow, this, well, oh, it's addictive, isn't it? It's it. It was like that moment where I was like, oh well, this is a really bizarre strange wonderful thing um and then I took it far too far and that no. is
2: yeah yeah what happened at 17 did you say you you mentioned it like in passing to me that you just like got on a bus like and moved
0: yeah I got mixed up with um the group of my friends at the time we were at college and um I got mixed up with it was sort of ecstasy and weed, and the feeling that I knew what I was doing with my life and I could tell myself what I could do better than any adult could have told me. So I got on a bus and moved to the Isle of Wight, which then we lived in a tent um, for about three months.
2: Um, Who's we?
0: Me and an ex boyfriend at the time, who I thought was the best thing because we constantly getting high together and he promised me the world, and it was like, yay! <laughs> um and you moved it,
2: and you moved with him like you guys got on a bus together
0: yeah we got on a bus and he was like oh yeah it'd be fine um and it ended up that we were to do cash in hand jobs and lived in a 15 pound tent sort of illegally from field to field and getting kicked off those fields in the mornings um it was all, it, you know, we were in and out of hospital. It was, it was a really bad life. It was, it was literally killing us. And I was that stubborn that I was just like, well, I can do this. So then after about three months, I realised that I possibly couldn't. <laughs> so, I <laughs> know, oh funny that.
1: Who would have thought?
0: I <laughs> know, yeah, it's really not healthy. Um, and then we got on another bus, which ended up right at the top of Scotland. We didn't know where Thurso was at the time. It was just a cheap bus ticket, and we just came up and, yeah, <laughs> ended just, up
2: here. <laughs> you ended up there, but, you know, and you're 17 years old, or okay. about to be, you're probably closer to 18, I would imagine, right now, right? Yeah. So you're 17, 18 years old, and you're still, you're still doing drugs?
0: I had stopped the drugs just before we got the bus to move up to Scotland, because I said to myself that I wasn't going to make the same mistake i wasn't going to come up here and then do exactly the same thing again and waste away because you can't live in a tent at the top of scotland it's just it's just gonna really hurt it's gonna be really really cold so yeah i cleaned up my act i was working three jobs and he carried on using which then led to us sort of splitting ways because he became very abusive and um yeah so there
2: there was no going back you didn't want to go back to your family you wanted to stick it out on your own up there
0: that again is the stubbornness (laughs) which I'm learning to sort of get over now but yeah I, I still had it in my head that I was making all the right decisions
2: well yeah you're working hard you're working three jobs you're supporting yourself and how long into working three jobs and that kind of chaos did you discover like oh drinking's fun and it's acceptable
0: well the drinking was from when I was 16 it was just I was just constantly drinking anyway um because my ex was so not fantastic let's put it that way um I just I drank a lot because then I could sleep a lot and I could avoid him and um yeah so I mean the drink it was only till recently that, i started been hospitalised from it, that I realised ah, it's possibly not the best way to go.
2: <laughs> so, so for how long were you able to like drink every day and then not like? Were you getting arrested or DUIs or anything like that? Where like you were you could say to yourself, maybe this drinking isn't good.
0: No, um, I just you realise when you're choosing alcohol over food and the doctors are telling you that you need to stop because it's literally breaking your insides anytime I'm going well I don't drink I don't know what you're on about it's absolutely fine (laughs) it must be the spicy food I don't know
2: (laughs) so when was the first time you ended up under like doctor's care for your drinking how old Uh, were you or what year was it
0: no I I managed through the next 14 years without ever have an intervention um it was last october uh because of covid because everything got shut down i'd use that as another excuse just to be like well every day's christmas and everything's fine um so it was in october it was the first time that i was hospitalized and they said well you're gonna have to stop i can clearly see that you're drinking and i can clearly you know you can tell that it's really really bad that I just wasn't taking them on at all. What so,
2: was it what was it that it was so noticeable?
0: Um, it was um my stomach and my stomach lining was actually just starting to disintegrate through just excessive alcohol use and it was
2: yeah.
0: just a yeah, pain constantly.
2: Yeah, it's extremely painful. I have some stomach lining missing where my gallbladder is from, you know, throwing up bile for years. And, you know, it eventually shut down my gallbladder and then started eating away the stomach tissue. So now like if I get like a big coughing fit, like it is so painful because of that missing stomach lining right there and there's like nerves that like it's it's not good. And that's like there's no getting that it's not like you it know <laughs> No, it's not like what was that uh the build a bear thing where you could like just stuff it again? It's, there's no stuff in <laughs> no (laughs) there's no device for putting the stomach lining back in no it's it's just um i don't have it and it is what it is so okay last october now you know doctors are saying to you like amy we can tell you're drinking too much and but you're just still like i'm stubborn and i am going to do this anyway and it's just you and your husband right you have a kid
0: I've got two children. They are no. 11 and 8.
2: 11 and 8. Okay. So let's backtrack again. I like to jump around. <laughs> when when did you and your husband meet?
0: Um, My ex-partner, he threw me out to the streets, and I met my husband then at a bus stop about three months later.
2: Okay. I feel a- like we missed something here. You got thrown out on the street by an ex. Okay. Let's you backtrack a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> now, is this is this the ex that you moved up to Scotland with?
0: Yes, it was. He okay.
2: uh,
0: carried on using, and then um, had it into his head that I was cheating on him and everything like that. And he had this other girl come to the flat. And when I came home from work, he they were both standing there. And they were like, "Well, you we we're gonna kill you. It's like you're a horrific human being." Like they were so. Threatening and abusive, that I just I had to get out there. And he was like, Don't ever bother coming back. And I had no one up here, I had no money. I yeah. and that was, yeah, I just ended up. So I went back to the bar that I was working at at the time and I was just sleeping on their sofa until I could find a little bed sit to stay at.
1: That
2: makes sense. It was definitely the better thing. Usually, I find that the guys that are. Accusing their partners of cheating are the ones that are actually cheating, and then they get so paranoid that well, if I'm cheating, they must be cheating too. You know.
0: (laughs) And I I got out there as soon as possible. I'm not gonna lie. I just went "Ah, no, 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 (laughs) run.
2: Yeah, and then but you don't. None. Neither of your eleven or eight year old is with that dude. No.
1: That's good. So three
2: months. Yeah, three months later is when you met your now husband.
0: Yes, we did. We met at a bus stop and he offered me a lift home. And obviously, you shouldn't do that now. Stranger danger and all that.
2: <laughs> what um, year was this? How long ago was this? 2010?
0: 2008.
2: Okay. okay, so a little bit ago. And you're at a bus stop and some dude pulls up and said, you don't need to put a quarter into the bus stop. I'll get you for free
0: basically yeah and i was like oh all right then that's great i need money <laughs> so i'm saving money <laughs> so yeah it's good though i mean we were engaged six weeks later and then we were pregnant with my first child two months after that it was
2: yeah, a little... yeah. is he so older
0: I'm like, oh, much older he's five years older than me
2: okay yeah well he might have been just more ready for the whole family thing you know to the point where like oh this is the one this is her yeah
0: she great standing there all damp at a bus stop <laughs>
2: <laughs> um were you able to successfully um get through the pregnancies without drinking
0: yes uh, because that's... i have always always said if i was to ever become pregnant or anything like that i mean the children will always come first no matter what
2: i think I, that's That's the good thing about being stubborn sometimes is that (laughs) you can kind of use that kind of mentality to your advantage and kind of flip the script a little bit and use that stubbornness as a way to, like, no, I can't drink because this is not for me. This isn't. And then you can kind of like get on your own ass about it, you know, by being so stubborn against yourself, you know. So, because were you drinking heavily when you found out?
0: Yes. Um, Well, when I say heavy, I mean it's like two bottles of wine a night and then something stronger as a treat on the weekends sort of thing. (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah, but still, like, you know, two bottles of wine, that's not like every household in the world.
0: No, but it was just so normal. Um, I I always drank to be drunk. I never drank to enjoy it. I drank to get to the point where I would sleep and... I don't know I would, I would just I would just drink so heavy and I I, I don't look still look in the back in it now I never really it was never an issue in my head at all it was just what I did and it's what I've done for such a long time that it, I've just it's what I know it's what my brain's programmed to do
2: <laughs> yeah and, and I'm sure you know when you know when you're quitting drinking for the kids when you're pregnant it's not easy, but it's easier than quitting for yourself, right? Like it's a lot easier to quit for them and be like, no, I can't drink because this isn't about me right now. This is about them and they don't have a chance to not drink and blah, blah, blah. And it's easier. But now last October, you're done having kids and you're being told now you can't drink or you shouldn't drink. We know you're drinking. You're like, I'm not drinking. They're like, (laughs) you're drinking (laughs) we're (laughs) doctors you're drinking so you know I'm sure it gets in your head for the first time maybe I shouldn't be what is it that like where because you said you tried to quit and then you had a you know a relapse a blip or whatever you want you know in Mm -hmm. August but what was it last July to finally got you like checking out sobriety more
0: it was after christmas because i ended up spending half my christmas in hospital and i was so disappointed with myself because i missed so much of the kids christmas um and my husband he I went, mm, you know i think i think it's getting a bit of a problem now you're getting too used to this because you know if you can drink three bottles of wine and not feel an effect from it you're sort of like you, you're sort of sitting there going mm, no that's not okay um and so, yeah, it was January. and I've, It's really hard because for so long, I was just like, I don't have a problem. Why would I stop drinking? Why would I put myself through that? And I have so many people up here because, I mean, this is whiskey country. Everyone drinks up here. Like, Why would you put yourself through that? Why would you stop? So, again, it is just a case of me just going, well, I'm not going to be like you. And I looked it up and I look, made an Instagram page. And that's when I sort of started meeting people, like some amazing people online, and they were like, Oh, do you know what you can actually have loads of fun and not drink? <laughs> like revelation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's that's where that's how I ended up sort of going, oh well, I'll give it a go. And I put so much pressure onto myself to try and be that Instagram person that had been doing it for so long and knew all the ins and outs and were doing it perfectly, that by the time I got to my birthday in May, I was like, oh, no, that's that's too much pressure. I'm done with that now. <laughs> so like three months of just like heavy drinking again. Now I just thought,
2: no. Yeah, so came back to it in August. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, there, and and Instagram's been good. Um, Facebook's been good too. There's a lot of like support groups for addiction. Um, for people that you know all kinds of addictions and like for alcoholics people that are tapering or moderating or you know harm reduction or whatever um also tiktok there's a lot of like good cool videos out there people posting their stories you know it's not just about like you have to go to meetings and if you don't go to meetings you're not going to be sober you know and there's i can
0: i can't say that i can't i can but there are 6,000 people that live in my town and that is the extent of it. And as, the, as much as they say, it's going to be really, really confidential. You know for a while your neighbor down the street knows your entire birthday and exactly what's happened throughout your entire life within about half an hour. <laughs> it's small town mentality. And it's
2: shocking. Yeah. This small town though, it's not that, it's not as bad as you think though, because it ends up being like a small community too that, you know, can really get your back. So it, it it you can look at it for what it what how should I say this? you can look at it and and find the negative in it right there's always going to be a negative in it there's always going to be a reason not to do something however whenever there's a negative there's also a positive too it's just a matter of if you're going to actually open up your eyes and look at that positive or not our minds are always drawn to like Think negative. Look at the negative and doom and gloom and always, like, that's where we go first. It's the worst-case scenario. But there's best-case scenarios, too. And the best-case scenario is, like, hey, I'm your neighbor, and I can help you whenever you need it. I'm your—you know what I mean? And I'm your neighbor, and I can help you with that when we don't have meetings, you know. And I could talk to you or this day at this time, you know, so— there are going to be reasons to not do it. There's always going to be reasons. I find that working the steps was huge for me. Um, whether they were AA, NA, smart recovery, any kind of steps is going to be helpful. Because it's a way that we can find where our addictions rooted in. You know, what? where our – because it's more like excessiveness – That we were addicted to excess, you know, more of the drugs, more of the pills, more of the drinking, more of whatever it is. So why is that? Why did we feel the need to escape? Why did we feel the need to numb, to forget, to hide, to be somebody we weren't? So in those steps, you find those answers. And, you know, it's a way to live life without the solution of drinking or drugs. So you're still early on. You're still really early on. You know, how old are you, Amy?
0: I'm 31.
2: 31. So, you know what I mean? I was 31, almost 32 when I got recovery for the first time. I'm 35 now, and it's my life. You know, my my wife's in recovery, I'm in recovery. We run a meeting center about recovery. I do a podcast on recovery. Recovery is everywhere in my life now, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, i love going to both fellowships aa and na and participating one is more rough around the edges one is more like you know traditional and laid back and one is more neck and face tattoos <laughs> you know <laughs> but like, i i posted a, i posted a, um a thing earlier and it ended up coming with a funny meme Um, but it's a dude that I interviewed that makes memes, where is it, and I made it, it the the YouTube thumbnail, which is, um, when a couple meets an N.A., (laughs) (laughs) and it's the monster being poured on the baby, like, the dude I interviewed that, his episode came out today, yeah, that's (laughs) one of his memes that he's created, and I think it sums up N.A. perfectly. (laughs) Incredible. Um, but that kind of support is good though because that's where it really started from before there was like the social medias and all that kind of thing that's the old school way of getting sober and staying sober and finding a way to live life in sobriety how has it been with your husband is he did he quit drinking too as like a way to support or is he drink here and there or he he drinks but he does
0: he's he's never been a heavy drinker like he'll have a couple of beers on a Friday night when he watches telly.
2: Gotcha. So he was never like the wine drinker with you or anything. He, he, he you're not...
0: not. He was never that person. Well, he's never been that person that had to drink. Well, yeah, I... that's
2: good. I that, that mean, that means you're not like looking at your old demons like all the time um, still, like in front of your face. All.
0: And I try not to sort of constantly put sort of my sobriety on him because I feel like well I feel like almost like I'm pressuring then him to feel bad that he's drinking and stuff like that because I can quite happily sit with him and he's having a beer and I'll just have a non-alcoholic beer because there's so many of them so I don't mind too much he just do it once how how did, he, <laughs> how did he how
2: did he how did he feel about you doing the whole like Instagram here's my story here's who I am you know kind of thing for people
0: I think, well, it's only really been after my relapse and this time round that I've sort of shared a little more and I felt a lot more comfortable in it. I felt a lot more like I don't have to portray the fact that I am constantly doing everything perfectly and I've just, I feel like, well, if you can't take me honestly, then don't bother looking. It's almost like a journal. So then he... He thinks it's good for me. I mean, I've been in therapy for a year and I've managed to come out of it through talking to all these amazing people that I've met. So he's he backs me for it. He's like, "Yeah, cool. Why didn't you create a YouTube channel and all this?" And then I'm like, "Well, this is the first thing I've ever done on video."
2: (laughs) This right here, yeah.
0: (laughs) So I'm not ready for that.
2: (laughs) You'll get there. I mean, and what you definitely need is time too. You know, you need time and also time to learn things, too, because, like, we we always say that our brain kind of stops learning how to develop new things when we're in active addiction. Mm-hmm. So, like, my maturity level stopped in my adolescence, and I'm learning how to, like, be an adult all over again. You know, even in my thirties, I'm still learning every day things that I should have learned ten, fifteen years ago. But at that time, when I was learning them, I was too high or drunk to be able to tell you what the instructions were. So you're still like learning and relearning things all the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, that's I mean that's very there's like my whole scientific thing around addiction. You know, where you're you've got so many connections in your brain when you're born when you're born and obviously you lose them over time because you don't use them whereas when you're in active addiction you have got this one part of your I'm going to sound really stupid because I'm going to get this wrong but I think it's your prefrontal cortex in your Mm -hmm. brain where that's where your active addiction is sitting and it just takes over absolutely everything in your brain and everything else just starts to turn sort of almost just gray and awful and that's why you do stop, you stop learning, because that is what you're powering, is your addiction in your brain.
2: Yeah, it's a mental obsession that, you know, we get, and people understand that, yeah, we can go to treatment for a month, or two months, or three months, and then come back, and then how did you get high right away, it's like, just because I've been gone for 90 days, doesn't mean I've been (laughs) obsessing about it for 90 days, that's the only thing that's been on their mind for 90 days, is that next fix, and when it's going to be, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it it blows people away, too, with how that works. You know, I was just watching, you know, that TV show Dope Sick. And, you know, the doctor didn't understand, that, you know, his where his addiction was rooted in and how it was, how it sat in his brain. And this dude has been a doctor for years. And he's like, what do you mean my brain was rewired? Like, and that's, yeah, it literally was. And so it's going to take time. And, it, you're, and you're you're going to learn new things and experience new things. And the thing is, like, don't put yourself into a box and just learn one thing, you know, learn all the different things. That's why I'm saying check it out. See what it's like, you know, because the worst case scenario is you go, that's not for me.
0: It's just absolute fear. It's just, fear yeah, it. I know it is. I know it's full fear of walking through that door.
2: And well, have you said the words? like, if you, like, said the words, like, you can write the words all you want, that you're an alcoholic, but have you, like, said it with conviction, like, because that's the first time a lot of people say it for their first time, right, You you sit down in a meeting, and you're being introduced, and you say mm-hmm. it, and a lot of people, they, they've told me, like, because I knew I was an addict, so for me, it was a little different, I was doing it on stage, um, but, like, the first time they said it in a meeting, they felt it, like, wow, that, i actually heard it and it rings have you said it though have you truly said it yet
0: i have said it to a few friends this is i think another reason what stops me going to meetings locally is that i haven't really face-to-face people i've never said it to anyone i i'm very much recovering away from the people that i personally know um because i'm i always get very worried and I just get very worried that they're gonna judge me and then I'm gonna lose everyone, basically. <laughs> so I've not really said it to many people around me. But um my closest, my nearest and dearest, then yes, I have turned around to them and I've said that I am addicted to alcohol and I have had so many moments where I've gone, Oh, that was really bad. But I'm just I, I'm 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 a bit of a scaredy cat.
2: It's okay. <laughs> It's okay to be. It's okay to be. You know. I also I did notice that you you kind of danced around saying it, which you know is.
0: Fun. I find it really hard. I find it. It's just.
2: No, it's no, it, and it is hard. It's supposed to be hard, yeah, Amy. Yeah. It's not supposed to be easy. It just. It's
0: it. it it's just being scared. I think. It, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, saying those three. You know, those four words, you know, I'm JD and I'm an alcoholic, five words or whatever. Like, you know, when you say it, you're really taking the ownership of it and, you know, not ownership of it, but it, it made me like feel good, like, whew, like it was like I could breathe again because it wasn't a secret. Does that make sense? Like. It's not like I was trying to keep a secret. I was in Los Angeles. I was 3,000 miles away from my using. Nobody knew me whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But still, for me, it was that secret that I was keeping in. And when I said it out loud, whether you knew my past or not, it was relieving for me just to have that kind of sense of I said it and I didn't die. Everything is still okay, (laughs) you know, And, and and and. and it's okay to feel that kind of judgment because why wouldn't you? We talk about stigmas all the time. Stigmas are around both in active addiction and stigmas are still very, very, you know, around when it comes to recovery. You know, there are stigmas against people that, you know, use the medically assisted treatment. There are stigmas against people that use 12 steps. There are stigmas that people only go to church that only go to AA, only do this. Everyone, there's so many stigmas in recovery. But the biggest thing that's not a stigma is, like, as long as you're not picking up today, that's yeah. the big, you know, that's the big deal. It's You didn't get drunk today. You know, that that's something that's not ever going to be a stigma, and that's always going to be accepted. So, and <laughs> if they see you in a room, they've done some shit, too, to make it into that room. <laughs> You don't just go to AA to go and you don't just go to like AA meetings to hear, hear some stories. You go there because you have some stories to tell. Yeah. <laughs> so anybody in those rooms, you know, is going to be helpful. I just, I just found that whenever someone is willing to work on themselves enough to go to therapy,
1: mm-hmm.
2: You know, and to change their lifestyle, like their daily drinking of wine, then you get a lot from doing a dive into, you know, yourself and where the drinking is rooted in. You know, because that drinking came from somewhere, you know, that escapism, whether it was you were escaping because you want to be accepted and you didn't feel like you could be accepted as your Amy self you know, and you felt like you needed to be this Amy for this crowd or that Amy for that crowd and or whether it was I just I saw drinking at the house and I didn't want to drink or whatever, or I wanted to drink, too. just not. There's always reasons, but you find those reasons usually when you do some of that extra work. But therapy is amazing. And I think that you're on the right track with doing therapy and d- talking about it on social media. Maybe you're not living it out loud like in the town that you're in, but you're living it out loud on the world wide web. I
0: am. I have <laughs> an amazing team as well. And I don't yeah. know why I
2: cut it out at home and Well it yeah. does as long as you're doing it. You're not like in a closet and you're it's not like you're hiding away from it, which is important to me, you know, you're here yeah. and you're talking to me on, you know, a podcast in America about addiction and recovery. So it's not like you're complete hiding, you know. No. You're, Talking about Scotland and where you are and where you came from. So if you're just not comfortable yet going in person, then that's fine. That's okay. There is no time limit. You don't ever have to go. You know what I mean? It is what you're comfortable with. You should never put yourself into a situation to where you're gonna feel uncomfortable. You know, but if one day you're like, I need more, that's something that's more, that's all. You know, and it's a possibility that's in person that's already going. I think therapy is the best thing that anybody could do, whether you're an addict or an alcoholic or you have AUD or SUD or you're a normie and you've never had any substance you know, use issues.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Therapy is important. We all yeah. have shit we need to work on.
0: Yeah, when I first, I think another thing that led to the relapse through the summer was that when I was going in therapy, I didn't know how to deal with any emotions anymore. I literally that was that was how I used alcohol. I literally escaped from happiness, sadness, stress, absolutely anything. everything was a trigger, and it was my answer to absolutely everything um and then I was doing the therapy and found out that well they did well I didn't find out they decided to diagnose me with um borderline personality disorder, and then I was like, well. <laughs> can't deal with that that's something else I'm having to deal with so yeah ended up drinking for a while again but I'm owning it now very much so
2: let me ask you this so you said yourself just now like when you were told all that you were like well that's no good I need the drinker for this
1: right
0: (laughs) yeah it was just literally it was how my mind works is that you deal with problems with alcohol. And that is quite literally the first thing that came into my head. And that's the first thing that I did without even thinking.
2: So my next question is, what was in your head when you started drinking that night? Was your problem solved?
0: No, I felt excessive guilt and sadness on top of panic and worry. <laughs>
2: that's <laughs>
0: I'm weird. Not I will go through therapy and I will tell her that I am so anxious that I can't walk into a shop. I oh, can't. you
2: know what this means. I just realized that you're the first person that probably understands what this means. Can you read it? D O C H A S. No. No. Okay, never mind. Then you're not the first person. <laughs> I was. I was lied to. I was told that that's Gaelic for hope. Oh wow. No, I don't
0: know Gaelic. But that's isn't, amazing.
2: Isn't Gaelic in Scotland? It is, yeah, but... Oh, but um, you're in England. You, didn't, point, I, you yeah. didn't learn that. Okay, so I feel a little bit better then. So <laughs> I'll take that out. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I... feel a little bit better. It's <laughs> just one of those things that hit me. I'm like, oh, wait, somebody from Scotland. And, but yeah. All right. You
0: Scottish people that do you know Gaelic, I'm not going to
2: lie. <laughs> really? Yeah. I guess it's one of those things. Um...
0: <laughs> it's really funny.
2: <laughs> yeah. I it was one of those things I realized. So, okay. So yeah, you had that relapse and then you realize quickly, like, oh, my problem isn't actually fixed in alcohol, but yet I just relapsed so I might as well keep drinking.
0: And I literally drank and drank and drank for three months and I felt so ashamed of myself and so guilty that I'd shut down my instagram app and i'd shut down everything that i was accountable on everywhere that i went and everyone that i spoke to i just i shut down completely because i was like well i'm not being who i want to be so i'm not going to bother talking to anyone so i just sat on at home drinking <laughs> and yeah and then eventually i just sort of saw the light
2: <laughs> well what was the light there you know for me, I know what my light was to where, like, I was finally like, "All right, I'm done."
0: I just, I, I was sitting there and I had the most horrific hangover. Like, I couldn't leave my bathroom floor. I just felt like pure hell, and I, I just, I just literally, I was just sat there thinking, thinking about well, why am, why am I doing this to myself, and why have I shut myself off from the world? And it was just very much a case of I was, I just sort of looked at myself and thought, you're just not, you're not living what you want to be living. So why are you carrying on doing that? Um, yeah, and you, it was when I came back onto Instagram and I had one person, I mean, I've never met anyone from everyone that I'm on there with. I've never met anyone. And there was one person it really hit home. How caring people can be, and how much people have got your back in recovery. Like it's insane. It and he had messaged me every single day that I was offline, and even if it was just a date. But he had literally checked in with me every day and said, like, you know, look after yourself, come back, you've got this, and everything like that. And I just it just sort of blew me away that I was like, well, I'm not on my own. I can get through this because I have people here. And it was just mind blowing. It's I- funny
2: how social media kind of rats you out without even realizing it's ratting you out. Like it's like oh. you know telling on you without even you oh. telling on yourself. Because I, you always know, I always knew when somebody I went to rehab with what re- relapsed based on their posts changing and how their posts changed or all of a sudden you didn't see them post in their story and they used to post all day long in their story (laughs) and now they never do or they used to post something like I've seen people post every single day that a number like a weird, like a font, you know what I mean? But it's just their number and of how many days sober they are. And I remember early on how important that was to know that number you know, when I remember hitting 100 days and being like, holy shit, I'm at triple digits 100 days.
0: Like a few days ago. And I was like... yeah.
2: yeah, I remember that. Like, it blew me away to think about. And, you know, now it's, you know, years later and it's just like, I can't even get, like, the fact that I get through Christmas and I don't even think about drinking, you know, around here... um Thanksgiving, you know, I know you guys don't give a shit about Thanksgiving, um, which, why should you? You're in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not what it's about. So, but the biggest drinking night in America is not New Year's Eve. It's Thanksgiving Eve. Oh, wow. That's, that's by far one of the biggest drinking nights of the year. Um, probably out there were at the 4th of July, another holiday that you had given zero shits about for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, but the Fourth of July and Fourth of July, Thanksgiving Eve is so big because usually people are, you know, they move away, you know, they're they go to school, they they go to jobs, they have whatever, and then everyone comes home to see their parents or whatever on Thanksgiving. So everyone's back home for wherever the fuck they went and ran off to for Thanksgiving Eve. So everyone goes to the local <laughs> hole in the wall bars. And that was – it's always the biggest drinking night of the year. So last week, uh, whatever Thanksgiving was, um, it was a Wednesday, and my wife and I were at the meeting center all day long. You know, mm-hmm. she does these paintings. She loves to paint. And right now she's doing a whole series of, like, the – you know the movie Christmas Vacation? hmm um the cartoon Santa in the beginning she's doing a bunch of like cartoon Santas of like him doing being electrocuted and all that kind of shit they're awesome (laughs) and um she sent it to the family like we're all in a group chat with my parents and my brother and sister and she sent one and my dad called out the movie thinking that it was a picture of the tv that we took a picture of and I was like no that's she painted that he's like holy shit like he had you know So, um, but yeah, she's working on them, but so she was doing that and I was, I was like, it's crazy out there already. Cause I was smoking, I smoke out front and there's a bar next to us and I was like, it's crazy out there already. She goes, why? I was like, cause it's the night before Thanksgiving. It's everyone's at the bar and she's like a drinker like you. And she's like, oh my God, I didn't even realize it was Thanksgiving Eve Wow. You know, like, she completely forgot that it's the biggest drinking night of the year. But it's only because it's been a couple years since she has gone out and got obliterated on Thanksgiving Eve like she used to. Now it's a nice quiet time, and we'll watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, you know, Mm -hmm. and relax. That's a Thanksgiving movie, you know, and we watch it, and, you know, it's relaxing, but you don't have to get shit-faced. And so it's we're doing a big thing for New Year's Eve, for sober New Year's Eve here, and just gonna have a party and probably go live on like Facebook and YouTube and stuff like that during it, and all that. You'll be a little bit ahead of us, so you'll ring in the new year a couple hours ahead of time.
0: <laughs> yeah, God, it's such a weird thought.
2: <laughs> yeah, you get yeah you get the 2022 like five hours before us. Bungles. <laughs> <laughs> and are you are you near? So because one of the you mentioned it earlier, and it kind of struck a chord in my mind. One of the whiskeys that—oh no, I guess it's more of a bourbon. I don't know. There is a whiskey that, because like I said, my family has been to Scotland. I did not go because I knew I was not going to be able to go ten days without pills. So mm-hmm. I chose to watch the dogs and I stayed back mm-hmm. while they went. Um, but we, my brother and I, always talked about Lagavulin. Because we love the TV show Parks and Recreation, and <laughs> the one guy is obsessed with Lagavulin, and Lagavulin is Scottish, I believe.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, is that up by you?
0: It's not close to me. We've got—I don't know if you've heard of it. We've got uh, Old Pulteney, which is in my little town, and we've also got McAllen
2: Oh, I know Macallan. I watch How I Met Your Mother, and they—they they order Macallan. It's like thirty-five years, and it's expensive as shit. Yeah. It's probably got... cheaper where you are. Oh it's but... not. <laughs> no, it's not. it's not. No, they're like, This is sitting in the barrel thirty years, you're paying for this shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, what?
2: <laughs> So you're so you're in the town where McC where Mackellan is?
0: We are in the town where Old Courtney is, which is another really sort of well known one. Um okay. Mac- Macallan is down the road from us and we two of my brother in laws work there and are constantly getting given bottles of whiskey, which they then give out to family and
2: friends at Christmas. It's funny. I was a whiskey drinker, but I can't drink any of those whiskeys. They're way too, like, it it was never, like, I could never drink them the way I would want to drink them, if that makes sense. Like, I could drink them in the sense of the way that they were meant to be drank, (laughs) sip slowly out of a nice tumbler glass, I can drink it that way, but the way I drink whiskey is Jack Daniels, and I'm like bottle straight in the air, and I'm fucking just drinking it, <laughs> you know? I get it. I get like, it. you're not supposed to mix McKellen <laughs> with Coca Cola. <No. laughs>
0: Everyone does it, and he just.
2: I would no. never mix like Lago in my soda, like you know, like ice maybe, but that's it, like because it's so fucking harsh. I don't know how. For any of you Parks and Rec fans that you know are curious, and if you're a normie do and you 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 can drink normally like we can't, do yourself a favor and don't try Lago because it's expect one hundred dollars for the bottle, and it is going to burn, and you're gonna reg- you're gonna regret everything for the next seven minutes while that <laughs> taste wears out of your mouth. <laughs>
0: At least. Yeah,
2: I tried it, and I'm like, oh, this is not what I wanted. How does he do this? Like, and it, it goes to show you the character of that person <laughs> of the show so much. Uh, yeah, I it, well, it's different up there. You know, I've been to Netherlands, and so, like, I didn't like Heineken in America. I have never liked Heineken in America. But in Amsterdam, now, maybe I was really high. But Heineken was fucking delicious. The atmosphere. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it was. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it might have been the four coffee shop a day habit when I was in Amsterdam. I I was there for I was there for St. Paddy's Day of all times. And I was not celebrating with green beer. You know what I mean? I was celebrating St. Paddy's Day another way. I skipped out on Anne Frank's house because I did not want to like go to Anne Frank's house high as shit. So <laughs> I did not go to. No,
0: really bizarre.
2: <laughs> no, no, yeah, exactly. Like, I could not be able to go into an attic that high that was built and that old from the fucking <laughs> in the day. But uh, yeah, I've been to Germany and the cool, and I've been to Belgium. I loved Belgium a lot. Uh, I was yeah, Belgium, Belgium was really cool. Um, but. You know, I I haven't been there in sobriety, but I think like anywhere else, as long as you go there with a good mindset and you go there to be positive that I'm not going there to get fucked up. I'm going there to take in moments and enjoy myself and, you know, go on this vacation. Yeah,
0: that is desperately what I'm trying to learn. Like this weekend, I was away for the weekend. That's the first time I've ever successfully managed to go away and stay sober around celebrations
2: and you were like you know let's let's tell the audience about this because you know this weekend you were you were nervous nelly you were pretty nervous about go driving in in the snow you know because like you fell off a cliff now i know even more like you've fallen off a cliff before so and
0: we are up up one cliff like whoa,
2: no ah yeah because it looked pretty bad
0: it wasn't good, I'll put it that way, I, think I was trying to work it out, because obviously I do speak to a lot of people from America now, and it was, was it 72 mile an hour wind, which I think is about 115 kilometers an hour, We like go that.
2: We go by mile per hour here.
0: Oh, thank goodness, that means yeah. it's 70. yeah, so it yeah. 72.
2: <laughs> 72 miles per hour winds, holy shit, and you were like, up on a cliff, yeah. in a sense, you know. I forget. Did you take any videos? I forget if you had any in your story that day.
0: I think. oh yeah. With
2: the snow. Can you send them to me? Because I'll can. put them in. I'll put them in.
0: I can. Because. Yeah, I at one point, this branch fell down from the tree and hit my car, and I was in that much shock, and like hit the windscreen, and I just sat there going, "Oh, okay." And about five minutes later, I was like, "I think
2: I'm gonna." Yeah, she had sent me a video message um from a store i think it looks like you guys were stopping for goods like at a store and you're like i don't know what's gonna happen i don't know if we're gonna die i'm gonna go in this car my <laughs> husband says it's gonna be okay i don't know if it's gonna be okay and i'm like well i say it's gonna be okay all the time to my wife when i'm driving in crazy <laughs> weather so you should trust your husband because <laughs> i
0: did i'm here to tell the tale so obviously my trust is well placed
2: <laughs> and you didn't have to get drunk over it
0: no, I didn't. It's very um, yeah. The uh, everything's a trigger. I was gonna blame anxiety as a trigger, then everything's a trigger. But yeah, it's way well, I've coped, and I didn't. So yeah,
1: <laughs>
2: everything is a trigger because the the drinking was the solution to all of our problems. Yeah. So like, if you had a problem before, you know, you were having triggers in active drinking. It's just that you didn't call them triggers because you would just go right yeah. to drinking. Yeah, Yeah. you just drink. It is what it is. Oh, I want to drink. I'll feel better. And so <laughs> it's not that there's triggers. It's just that life happens still. It does. So when life's still happening, you have to just find a way to get through that situation in life without the drink or the drug. Yeah. I think
0: that's what's going Christmas because my mom is. She's like, but I'm going to have a drink on Christmas Day. No,
2: (laughs) No. but it's a, so you got to think of your brain as a muscle though, too. So the more you get through things in sobriety, the more confidence you're going to gain of look what I just got through without drinking.
0: Yeah.
2: You, you're going to get through this Christmas for the first time in your life. And I'm saying it that way, and I'm not meaning to try to jinx you, but I'm saying it to give yourself that confidence because you, if you go into it with like, I'm going to do this for me to prove that I can get through an entire holiday of Christmas and New Year, the biggest drink in time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to prove to myself, not anybody else, this is for me, that I can get through this. And then next Christmas, you're like, oh shit, that was pretty easy last Christmas. Let me just get through this again. No problem. You know, you, you have that like sense of, Oh okay I can do this You know that muscle memory Of what you did and how you got Through it and you get that kind of thing going And it gets to getting Through birthdays like in May when your birthday comes around That you'll Be like oh well look look at Christmas I got through that I didn't need a drink And this time it can be You know getting through your first birthday Sober is a cool feeling Um, I really want to but the
0: thing Is it's like again it's like the first time I went around I tried to replace absolutely every moment where I would have drunk I tried to replace it with something bigger something better and that's what I think is going to be different about this holiday is that I'm actually more at peace with the fact that actually no I don't have to go big or go home sort of thing it is quite literally a case of how about you just live your life and don't drink and enjoy the fact that you're not going to wake up on Christmas morning feeling like hell at 6 o'clock in the morning when the kids are wanting to unwrap presents.
2: <laughs> Especially kids that age, they are really excitable <laughs> to be awake. You know? they
0: are.
2: <laughs> and you can't tell them, listen, mommy's hungover, you got to shut the hell up. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say that on Christmas morning.
0: Post Christmas is not fine.
2: <laughs> you can say it any other morning, just not Christmas morning. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> But yeah, that's, you know, it's definitely, it's not easy, but it's definitely worth it. And it, honestly, it is easy. It is easy. It, it's doing it. Yeah, it, it, it is easy. And it's, it's especially easy when you can kind of make a game out of watching the drunks.
0: <laughs> <be> it, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, you know, like, if you like the people watch at all, then and turn that- this into people watching 3000. You know, you get people watching right in front of you and they don't even know you're people watching, you know, that (laughs) kind of thing. And make up narratives in your head and make it fun for yourself. Like, (laughs) oh, I bet you they drink seven drinks because they they got her this. And then, like, do that. (laughs) Make it fun, you know, and you can get through a giant Christmas party with everybody drinking and, you know, having fun and celebrating just because they're having fun doesn't mean that they're having fun on the inside with the drink. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe they are, maybe they truly are having fun with it and they aren't alcoholics. And and there's a lot of people like that, that are truly celebrating with alcohol the way it was intended.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they can handle it.
2: (laughs) But that doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're going to learn how to handle it appropriately. And because you said it yourself when I asked you, How did you feel when you drank around your birthday when it was too much? Did you feel better immediately? And you said, no, I felt even more feelings of guilt and shame. So like, and that definitely the, and the more you stay sober and the more you work on yourself sober, Mm -hmm. every time you relapse, you have all of these feelings and thoughts of like, okay, I should just go back because this, this isn't fun anymore because i've i've i know what it's actually doing to myself. I know what i'm actually doing right now.
1: Yeah.
2: Before i was ignorantly blissfully just, you know, doing whatever because i didn't know any better. Now i know there are options and other other ways to live my life.
0: Absolutely. I mean, to be fair, i knew <laughs> kind of knew better. When I was doing it. <laughs> it didn't stop me though. But why do,
2: why me. do you think it didn't stop you though?
0: I had zero willpower. I had no want to stop it. I was quite happily just sitting there in active addiction. I was just quite happily just being like, well, this is what I do. And I just literally just, I just succumbed to the fact that that's what I said. I just said, oh, well, this is what I do. And this is what my mum does. This is what my grandma drinks. Like everyone drinks. is so normal that everyone around me was said centain, well, it's not that bad or you know you're not doing it that bad but in actual fact they didn't see that i was sitting at home guzzling (laughs) they didn't know that
2: (laughs) yeah and that and the wine especially that can be a a tricky one where you're fooling people even yourself for a while i mean you know the one of the most famous cases of that recently is adele you know another brit like yourself where she's coming out now where saying like i was drinking too much wine like straight up like
0: an absolute and especially being a mum as well there is mum wine culture it is a case of mummy needs a glass of wine mummy needs that and it has been made absolutely fine and it's absolutely shocking like when we were coming out of lockdown um and all the bars started opening again we had um on the news we had the reporters going to sit with people at the bar outside on tables drinking beer at like 8 a.m and drinking wine at 8 a.m because that's when the bars opened and they were so buzzing to be able to drink again. And there was never any videos of people going to coffee bars and sitting and having a cup of tea and seeing their friends. Do you know what I mean? It's just like everything is centered around the fact that just drink, drink. It's fun. Drink, 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 drink. And there's not a lot else.
2: I'm glad you said that because we have a huge problem with that here too. You know, and that's kind of why I want to talk to other people and other places is because the wine culture here is is so that – I saw a post, you know, where the woman said, I find it ridiculous that the fact that I just went on a play date with my son and the mother was trying to get me to drink margaritas with her and I had to keep telling her, no, thank you, that I just I'm not in the mood. I have a headache because if I would have told her that I'm an alcoholic, that I would have been the bad person. Because I am an alcoholic and I had a problem, but yet she's completely acceptable to be drinking margaritas in the middle of the day while, you know, watching the kids. Yeah. She's not the bad person. I'm the bad person because I at one point had a problem with alcohol and I worked on myself and I just don't drink anymore. So where's the stigma on alcohol being so acceptable? The fact that I'm a, you know, outcast. Because I'm just honest about being in the program.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it is shocking. I mean, it is good that, I mean, everyone is, people, not everyone. A lot of people are starting to sort of find their voices now. And it is becoming a lot more. I don't know if it is through the mental health with everything getting locked down. And everything has started opening up. And everyone's started being a lot more honest now.
2: So, how is it up there then? Like, because it's, it's weird how, you're not weird, it's it's funny but it's not funny, how I can be like what's the line? You know, like, oh, it's okay to be a mom that drinks, mm-hmm. but you can't be a mom and be sober and be used to be an alcoholic that drank. You know, like it, it's completely okay for the mommies to drink their wine and be like, "Oh, mommy needs a drink." But When is that drink too many drinks to the point where you're a bad mom?
0: I think that was, I mean, I had it with my kids last year and they were home learning and they were trying to work out, uh, they were just literally talking to their teachers and they were saying, well, um, what's your favorite What's your favorite drink? And my daughter would say, oh, well, orange squash. And then they're like, oh, what's your mum's favorite drink? She said, wine. And I was like, ah, damn. (laughs) Like, oh, right. Okay. Like it does. It affects the kids a lot more than what is spoken about.
2: Definitely. Did, did, did the teacher reply? Me too. Ha ha ha. And then.
0: Basically, Yeah. And it's just. It is just. It's too accepted. I mean, yes. Yeah, some people, they can go around and they can have. They can have a couple of beers and they can stop and they can go home and they'll be fine. But people, especially in the media, have to understand that there are people out there that can't. They are dreading this holidays. You can't keep having all the beer and the alcohol adverts and then expect everyone to be fine with it.
2: Yeah, I have shut down Instagram with that shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> all the advertisements that they would try to say. Because I mentioned alcohol so much that they think I want to see in their algorithm alcohol. But really, it's like, no. Do you, do you listen to what I'm saying, Instagram? Because... <laughs> you're showing me beer ads all day long. Like I'm constantly having to say I'm hitting the three dots. And if you if you are on social media and you're seeing a bunch of ads for that are triggering, um, you can get rid of those ads of that, you know, subgenre or whatever. Hit the three dots in the corner. Say, I don't want to see this ad anymore because I don't like it or whatever reason you have. Um, and they will listen after the third time you do it. Definitely do it more than once because they're, they're it's like they're backlogged. They're like, oh shit, we're still sending him those, you know. <laughs> and people get all butthurt um, about ads and you know the cookies and like being tracked. I love the fact that they're tracking my shit because I get to see advertisements that are for me, you know. So I let them track track me all day. I don't want to see ads for things that I don't want to buy. If I'm going to see ads, I want them to be ads for things that I'm interested in. So, yeah, track my shit. Send me the, all the right stores that I shop at. I don't want to see ads for a bunch of stuff that I'm never going to spend money. If I'm going to have to see the ads, I want them to be for me. This is like what I wished in the 90s when I was watching TV. Like, why can't I pick the ads if I gotta watch commercials, I want to pick them. Now you can pick them. Stop telling them not to track you. They're gonna track you anyway. So
0: I want to know how their tracking came to the point of them telling me to adopt an elephant every day. After every story, I have adopt an elephant, and I want to know how they got there. <laughs> From what I talk about on Instagram, now they really want me to adopt. You
2: an read elephant. one of you read one of their advertisements for way too long one day. You engaged in one of their posts for way too long with an elephant one day, of like either like you followed it and like a page or something. Yeah. There was some kind of engagement where like you read a post for so long that they're like, man, she loves those kinds of posts. <laughs> like, every story, I'm like person, person, elephant, person, person,
0: elephant. No. <laughs> I follow.
2: I I follow a wild rescue of elephants in Africa. And it's pretty cool on Instagram where they have like these cool videos of like these elephants all the time. It's cool as shit. Um, but I'll let you go. Thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me and updating me on Scotland and Britain and everything up there. But thank you so much, Amy. I appreciate you sitting down and opening up and talk. I know it's not easy. It's probably really even the first time you sat down and talked like this about your story, right?
0: It is. I mean, I've written it a few times. I've spoke about it with Mike and with uh, Mike from Sober Press as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's the first time I've actually spoken about it.
2: Sober Press? Um, oh, the the publication? Yes. Okay.
0: So I've got Mike, Inspire to Inspire, which is the team that I'm part of. And then we've got Sober Press as well, which I've shared my story on as well.
2: I, I just had an author that I think he writes for Sober Press. Um, I talked to yesterday, J.R. Weaver. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the book Addiction Manifesto. And I think he does something with Sober Press, too. I can't remember. We talked about a lot of things that he does. But thank you. Uh, okay,
0: okay. Oh, yeah. My cheeks actually hurt from nervous smiling. <laughs> I'm like ah. <laughs> I hope
2: it was easier than you thought. And just to sit down and talk with me. Like I try to make it not a lot of pressure and laid back and comfortable. And
0: it was good.
2: Good. All right. Now you can definitely relax and it's nice and, you know, not too late. So you can relax (laughs) now. You're done. So thank you so much. I appreciate it, Amy. (laughs) Okay. All right. Bye-bye.